The Saturday before Christmas means two huge NFL games. We've got the Broncos and the Bills in action, and we've also got the Panthers going up against the Green Bay Packers. But that's not all. Today, our special guest is none other than Jeff Reinbold from Sky Sports NFL. The Broncos against the Bills. The Panthers against the Packers. Welcome to the Irish NFL Show. Everybody, welcome back into the Irish NFL show. We're on a Saturday for once. Can you believe it, lads? Monday, Thursday, now Saturday. Welcome to everybody. Delighted to be joined again by the usual guys, Colin, Brian, and Mark. Welcome in, guys. How's it going? It's uh, definitely a little bit different with uh, Saturday football. You know you're in the business end of the season when you get to Saturday football. Yeah, Michael, I joked that I've seen you too much, but I really am. It's nearly every day now, but it's good to talk. Well, hey, Michael, we've, we've had Tuesday night football and Wednesday night football this season. We just need some Friday night lights and we'll complete the full week. Well, a very good TV show, which I'm sure we could talk about at some point during this show. But for now, gentlemen, we are, as you can see, we're delighted to be joined by, I think it's our first ever big guest as well, uh, Jeff Reinbold, Hamilton Tiger Cats, but more importantly for us over here, Sky Sports NFL. Jeff, completely, man, uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on as a guest. How's it going? It's my pleasure, fellas. This is like being in an episode of Boondock Saints with these accents, man. I can't. That's my favorite movie of all time. So this is really pretty cool. <laughs> oh, man, seriously. It's been, uh, well, obviously, I, I apologize for my accent because my wife can't understand me half the time. So hopefully we'll get there. <laughs> but just before we start, we are brought to you by our friends over at Pundit Arena. Now, Jeff, me and Colm spoke to you in March or April this mm -hmm. year I can't remember what I can't remember what, what 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 month it was but at that time you were sitting living it up in Hawaii sitting in the back of the car chilling out man did you really think at that point that you would be sitting in London come Christmas because I I think we were just so pessimistic that that, that the season would even happen at that point but it's I guess it's all worked out hasn't it now because you're obviously back over in the UK again yeah I mean it was really crazy times because um we were, that's normally the time of year that we're just about ready to go back and, and get ramped up for our preseason and, and training camp and all of that. And, and the COVID bombshell hit and um, we ended up losing our entire season because of it. And, you know, our games were supposed to start at the end of June and it was just no way that uh, the Canadian government was going to let that happen. Um, and I think probably the right decision for them at that time. The NFL had a, had a few months more to get out ahead of it. And when you, you know, when you consider guys, the amount of money that's involved um, and just how deeply rooted the national football league is in the culture of America and how important those Sundays are to the, hum to the human beings, all of us around the world that really love the game. I, I, I salute the NFL on, on with one hand and say, you know, what an amazing job they did to get this thing. It is 
you know, we're still not out of the woods yet, but to get it this far along has been phenomenal because it's an incredible, absolutely incredible amount of work and money that's gone into it. I have a friend that works for the Jets and uh, he was talking to the, the uh, COVID doctor, the, all, the over, overarching big medical guy, and you know that they were administering 44,000 COVID tests a week in the National Football League. I mean, you think about that, that's just in the National Football League. They spent $160 million on protocols. I mean, they have, they have done everything they can to make this happen, and all of us around the world that love the game are happy for it. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely makes uh, makes for a Sunday because so so much else has changed and all our routines ha have changed. Um, so the fact that the the games take place, it's it's really something to to look forward to, and it gives us something to to talk about, which is is a wonderful distraction. Um, now I, I think Brian, did you um have we we were talking, I suppose, Jeff ourselves, obviously about the protocols and um about the the possibility of of a bubble, and I think Brian, you were saying, was there something that um, the commissioner mentioned during the uh, the week. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that it was kind of a given that we were going to see a bubble come the playoffs. But during the week, Adele at the meeting said he wasn't going to make it mandatory. He was going to leave it up to each team to make that decision if they want to go into a bubble come the playoffs. And then having dug deeper into it, it seems that his hands are tied because if he did insist on a bubble, the NFLPA were going to look for some financial compensation for the players for sacrificing their time in terms of going into a bubble. So he's decided to kind of leave it, leave it alone, let the teams work out themselves what the right approach is. It'd be interesting to see who actually decides to go with a bubble because, you know, we always talk about the sacrifices that the players make, but, you know, do they want to do an ultimate sacrifice in terms of locking themselves away for one final month of the season away from their families? in order to get to the Super Bowl. So I think we'll quickly say who really wants it more so than others, you know, by the nature of who goes into the bubble and who doesn't. I agree with Brian. And, and you know, this is interesting, Brian. Sean Payton has been pounding on the desk for this for a long time. He really, you know, they went away. They basically were in their own bubble during, during uh, training camp. And then uh, he's been pushing the NFL to go this way throughout the season. I think you hit on exactly what the biggest issue is. You, you know, when you, you do anything with the players, and I mean anything with the players, it has to be okayed by the Players Association. And the Players Association, first and foremost, is going to look after their health. Second, secondly, they're going to look after their financial uh, situations. And to ask those guys to uh, be in a separate environment you, you knew that was going to that was going to be a problematic issue. So I think he handled it probably the diplomatic way, and he put it back on the put it back on the organizations. Now Peyton may have that kind of juice with his own football team that they'll voluntarily do it, but they they're not going to be able to require that a player do, goes into the bubble. Jeff, um, I if you were talking about the Boondock Saints, first of all, I want to audition for Sean Patrick Flannery's role. You know, we'll, we'll give Billy Conley's role to Michael, I think, or something like that. But um, just in terms of the games itself, like we're you know 15 weeks into the season now, we've we've got basically through the season. I mean, even if a massive COVID break happened now, we will still have playoffs. We will still have a Super Bowl. Totally agree. There's too much money at stake. 
But in terms of the play on the field, like we started with offensive explosions, like mm-hmm. just points galore, probably because of the lack of training camps, lack of cohesion on defense. And we've seen a little bit of inconsistency now in home field advantage um, because you don't have the big crowds. You don't have the disruption on third down for away sides. Is there any kind of big theme or kind of pattern you've seen um, with your eyes for, from a coaching perspective that have been different this year in the new COVID world that really hasn't been seen in seasons gone? Well, Mark, that's a really a great observation because, you know, the typical, this is how the whole thing has been turned on its head. The typical coaches cliche or coach speak was the defenses are always ahead of the offenses coming out of training camp or in preseason. But it was completely opposite this year. The defenses looked like they hadn't even practiced, some of them. And the offenses ran roughshod over people. And then it's, it's, you know, it's kind of balanced itself out now a little bit. But the home field advantage, think about, like, you know, you, you've got that San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge behind you. And think about, think about that team. They don't even have a home right now. I mean, San Jose has said they can't play the games in, in Santa Clara. And so they are down playing their games in Arizona. I mean, that's got to be really difficult. Uh, teams like Green Bay, like uh, Cleveland, like Buffalo, like New Orleans, you know, those are, those are places where it's really typically hard to play because of the noise, because of the crowd or the weather or whatever it is. You know, all of that's kind of been mitigated. And what I think we're seeing maybe because of that is maybe a pure view of who's really good and who's not good. Because when I worked for Coach Vermeil in 2001 in training camp in Kansas City, he told, he told the team that home field is worth three points in the NFL. All right, so when we, when we were going to play uh, what was then called the Redskins, you know, it was a three point, we, we, we viewed it as if we were up three to start the game, all right? When we went on the road, we were three points behind when they kicked the ball off. That's the mentality that there was. I don't think that exists now anymore. And um, I think that's one of the things that we've seen. And And I've seen a trend, I think, that we can probably thank Kansas City for, that more and more and more young players, used to be it took a receiver typically two or three years to really get to play well in National Football League because the coverages are so much more involved. They don't, they never see press man in, in college football very much. But these young receivers that can run the way these guys can run and offensive coordinators have figured out that it, you got to think more about players and less about plays. And so you see the kind of things like KJ Hamler, who, you know, was a good college player at Penn State, but wasn't like a dynamic guy. I mean, he wasn't, he had dynamic skills, but he didn't, they didn't, you know, they weren't on exhibit, on exhibit very much. Uh, Jerry Judy comes in, lights it up. Ruggs comes in, lights it up. You know, we're seeing Jalen Rager in, in Philadelphia show why they drafted him high. Justin Jefferson probably going to be the rookie of the year or is in the, you know, will be in the final running for it. So they're all over the place. And these, these are guys that are all right out of college. I mean, with no training camp and no preseason. So I think that's kind of a cool little trend that's happening in the league right now, too. Just been a crazy season and a crazy off season as well, Jeff. And 
who has been or what team for you has been the standout so far? I know Kansas City are sitting what twelve and one now, boys. But Jeff, what team has surprised you going into the season now, sitting week fifteen? Well, I think there's a couple that surprised me, that, you know, kind of in different ways. Um, I would have never guessed that we would be sitting here today at this point in the season, and the Cowboys have won what four games? You know, I, I, I just that's too, their roster was so talented. Now, again, I understand that there was changeover in the staff and all of that, but their defense doesn't just doesn't seem to get better. Discount the Cincinnati game because Cincinnati's crippled up, but you know their defense just doesn't seem to get better week after week. Uh, they lost Dak, they lost all those offensive linemen. Zeke to me has been a real disappointment. He looks, I wouldn't say disinterested, but he looks heavy. He doesn't look like he's got his quickness. Uh, I think Pollard's the best back that they've got right now. You know, they've got those three fantastic receivers and, you know, they really haven't impacted the game like you would think they, they had. There have been coaching decisions that are highly questionable. Um, you know, it's just, it's been a mess in Dallas. On the other hand, I thought Miami would take a step, but I didn't know if they'd get to be what they are right now. And I think there's some, that's a place that's trending really in the right direction. Buffalo, I thought would win the, the uh, AFC East, but again, they look very strong to me. That's a team that, that, you know, I think would go toe to toe with Kansas city. Um, the Packers kind of bounce back a little bit. You know, they're, they're going to have a chance because that guy playing quarterback for them is so special. San Francisco decimated by injuries and all of a sudden they're just an average team. The Rams bounce back. Seattle somehow finds a way to win nine or 10 games every year with a bad defense. I mean, there's so many storylines in this season. It's really amazing. So uh, it's going to be a battle down to the end. I, I, I don't think I know Kansas City to me is a clear cut favorite to win it, but they're not without their problem, too. Jeff, just to kind of touch on something you talked about, the, the, the rookies and, and in the wide receivers who have been um, outstanding. I, I think Jefferson has been, um, you know, one of my favorite players to watch in the, the league this season. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on the rookie QB class. Obviously, look, Burrow had the, the terrible injury, um, but Justin Herbert has come in and, and has looked fantastic and obviously Tua um, in, in Miami um, and now Jalen Hurts in, in Philly. Um, what are your thoughts, I suppose, on the QB situation with the, with the rookies this year? Well, I think it's, it's been really interesting the last couple of years because um, there was a time not very long ago, guys, probably five, six years ago, where everybody was concerned there, or there was concern about the fact that the quarterback group was getting older. Brady was getting older. Breeze was getting older. Rivers was getting older. Um, and there was really kind of a void after them. Well, then all of a sudden, they all, it's like they, they fell off the trees. I mean, it's like they're all over the place. And I think Patrick Mahomes has done more for the position in terms of He's, he's doing things now regularly that you coached against in the past. I mean, you would never have a guy throw the ball across his body, across the field. You, you know, no look passes. I'm, I, the one I'm waiting for is when he goes behind his back with one. That's, that's, that's the one I want to see. 
But I think what coaches have found is you don't want to take a guy and screw him into a, into a, you know, make a square peg in a round hole. You take, you let whatever your guy can do, you feature what he can do and then build your offense around what he can do. You surround him with talent and playmakers and then let him go. And the guy, the teams that have done that, the bill's a perfect example. Josh Allen guys, was never a 60% completion passer as a college player, a junior college player, or a high school player. And Brian Dable, you know, they went through the process of teaching him how to be a pro, but they also went out and they got Cole Beasley and, and then they got John Brown and then they got Stefan Diggs and, you know, they got good young tight ends and, and they got Singletary at, at running. All of a sudden, this guy doesn't have to be perfect with everything. And because he's got so many playmakers around. And, and I think that's what you're starting to see is people realize that whatever your guy can do, let him do it and then work around his skill set. The Rams do an excellent job with, with Jared Goff, because if you look at Jared Goff and if you're evaluating Jared Goff, he's not a threat to run with the ball. He's so the RPO game, all that stuff. Don't worry about it. Right. But yet they still do a good enough job off of what their base offense is, getting him on the perimeter, changing the long launch planes for him, using play action and getting the ball to those receivers where he struggles is. And I don't, this is the, this is my concern. If I was a Rams fan, can he win a game for me when we got to come back from two scores in the second half? I don't know that. Right. I don't know that Aaron Rodgers can do that. Um, we've seen that Patrick Mahomes can do that. You know, Matthew Stafford can do that. Those more classic throwers, you know, but that doesn't mean they can't win with him. They've been to a Super Bowl with him. You know, we Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. So you just got to try and, you know, play, look at it holistically and, and fit around that guy, fit around what he does. Did you see Mariota last night? It looked like, and I'm a big Marcus fan, but I remember him at the end at Tennessee and it, it was like all the life had got sucked out of him, right? Because he was trying, he was trying to fit into a system. He was trying to, you know, they didn't have much around him. And all of a sudden he goes to the Raiders and where, I mean, the Raiders are running RPOs. They're running quarterback runs. I mean, John did a great job of having an offense ready if he had to go to his, to Mariota, but Mariota is the best backup they could get their hands on. So what do you do? Take a guy that can't play just because, you know, he's kind of more fitted to what your starter looks like. That's a, that's a recipe for disaster. Just on Mariota, like I kind of look at that one is similar to the way Tannehill came in initially as the backup of the Titans. And obviously, as you said, Mariota's time was coming to an end. He wasn't playing well. They brought in Tannehill, Tannehill and you look where they are now. And I always felt that where Mariota went, he could see something similar. Now he's going to play the last two games because of the injury, but he did look re-energized in the game last night. He didn't look like the quarterback of old. And I just wonder, will he get an well, opportunity somewhere else? Well, I think that, that speaks to another issue about, you know, when you look at... Um, What's going on in Philadelphia? You know, here comes Hertz, and all of a sudden, you know, and they weren't great. I mean, New Orleans didn't play very well, and they turned it over inside their 50 twice. And, you know, there's some things that they didn't do well. 
But Jalen Hurts brought some juice to that offense, right? Now, if we say that the starter's broken, what do they do? Do they keep that big contract and, you know, hope he fixes himself or gets, gets right? Or do you let him go and maybe he's the next Mariota, Tannehill guy that, you know, just they, sometimes you need a break. Sometimes you need to just be able to step back, see the game a little bit better, not have the pressure of being a starter, let your body heal. Because all of those guys, I mean, Carson Wentz is beaten up. I mean, beaten up. Marcus Mariota was beaten up physically. Tannehill beaten up physically when he was in Miami. So all of those guys have the physical abilities or they wouldn't have been drafted where they were drafted. So does a change of, you know, that, that's, that's saying sometimes a, a change is as good as a rest, you know? Does a change of scenery help those guys? Is Josh Rosen, you know, redeemable? We'll see, maybe, who knows? I liked him coming out of college. I thought he was better than Darnold. And, and you know, Darnold's another one. He's, he's real young. He's 23. He was the youngest player in, in his draft class. And he's played for a horrible football team in a tough environment. Maybe he just needs to go away and be a backup for a couple of years and then see if he can do it again. See, see, Jeff, I think the Bills were ahead of the game on this. Oh, sorry, not the Bills, the Bears. They're just breaking their starter, then breaking the backup, then going back to the starter. <laughs> part of the evolution. The problem, is, the problem, Mark, is the Bears have been doing that for 25 years and they haven't true. found the guy yet. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember having a conversation with a Bears fan one time pointing out just how amazing their defenses have been over the years. And they kind of looked at me quizzically and I said, you got Rex Grossman to a Super Bowl. That's a pretty impressive achievement for any defense. You don't need to say any more than that right there. So, so Jeff, this is this is actually one of the first times I felt really gutted, I mean, about COVID in the last little while, because I really feel we should be having this discussion in a good Irish pub over several hours, over lots and lots of beers. Because some of the stuff you've just brought up there, like Pat Mahomes throwing the ball across his body, we did used to see that. Brett Favre used to do that in a Vikings jersey, direct to a Saint in a playoff game. But yeah. you know, Pat, Pat might be a bit more successful. You know, Brian DeBall, um, ex-Patriots, uh, ex-Chiefs and stuff like that, next head coach next year, I think is amazing. But again, trying to bring things... I want to ask you two questions, really. One related to the season and one related to your experience when we see you, like, on Sundays, especially in playoff mm -hmm. time on Sky Sports, right? Mm -hmm. This season has had some amazing plays. We've had C.D. Lamb, for example, a few weeks ago. And then last week, whether it was Xavier Howard, whether it was Kenny Moore of the Colts, you know, just unbelievable athletic achievements. I think I said there are moments when you realize you're just human and they're not fundamentally. <laughs> I, I, I just wonder your thoughts on what's your favorite or greatest play of the year so far? And then on the Sky side, again, we were talking just amongst ourselves, some of the fun things we've seen on that. What's been your greatest memory on Sky Sports? And you can't pick Scott Hansen nearly killing everybody. No, no, no. Actually, you know what? Um, I, I would say that my favorite experience at Sky it would, would be one that lasted, I guess it was probably five years. Um, and that was having a chance to work with Kevin Cato. Um, he's a special guy. He was a special, special guy. And not a football guy. I mean, he was a basketball guy. Kevin was a basketball coach, but beyond all things, Kevin was a great human being. And that came across on the screen. And I think 
you we all really who love the game and particularly who love the game over here we all are deeply indebted to kevin because for a long long time he was the face of the nfl in the uk and in, in ireland and all over the place and he he was a guy that you know i watched i, I was around him in a lot of different situations and i never once saw him handle himself you know, in any other way than, than as a gentleman and as a professional, you know, always had time for people, always had time to talk to somebody, never, uh, even, you know, even though when, even times when he's tired and it was after a broadcast and the, one of the security guards wants to talk about it, he always, always, always found time for people. And I think that's a, that's a tremendous, there's not enough people like that. Um, this year, plays of the year my god there's so many that just are you know just incredible you mentioned that one-handed interception last week that's that's a freaky one there was a pass i was I was watching today and i'm trying to think who it was i think it was the tight end from washington because i'm doing some research on washington catches a ball with his fingers about three inches off the ground with one hand i mean these guys are so phenomenal it, it really is mark it's it's they make the game that's a hard game to play they make it look easy right i mean and that's that's i think that anytime an athlete does that has that kind of skill whatever his sport is then he's transcending you know the sport and there have been some transcendent moments certainly this year in in the league and um and goofy ones too, like the, you know, the onside Atlanta's letting the ball against the Cowboys and let the ball spin. I mean, just crazy stuff. And, but it's been a crazy year. So I don't know if I could come up with one particular one that would say, I'd say, yeah, that's the one that will always remember that season for that play. Jeff, can I just ask you, um, being a Giants fan, I'm going to get a terrible time off these guys. Um, yeah, we're in, we, we are in an opportunity of winning the division, mainly because this year just hasn't been a good year for the NFC East. But taking away the record, I look at the Giants now and I look at the Giants over the past few years and it's completely changed. Joe Judge seems to be implementing a new culture there. He was a bit of an unknown. Mark knew well of him because obviously Mark's a Pats fan, but by and large, most fans didn't really know who he was coming in. And from day one, and when he did his press conference, he just seemed to hit the ground running. And he's just everything he does seems to be impressive. And I joke, whilst we're not good now, I think in the long term, I think we're definitely going in the right direction. i tell you what, I think it was, I think it was the last time the Patriots were in a Super Bowl. Um, I met him because the media day thing is, is a circus, right? And, and then every day after that, they have, uh, the team and the, the big stars are up on the risers and then they got tables spread all over, all over the place. And the coaches and the players that aren't on the risers just sit there and then the, the media kind of moves around and, and uh, you know, it's like, it's like a buffet. You just take a little of this and take a little of that. Right. And so as always is the case, the special teams coach, they very, very few people want to, they don't even know who he is right? most of the time. And Joe was the Joe was the was a young special teams coach. So I went over and I just sat, sat down with him, and we had about a twenty five minute 
conversation, not an interview, just a conversation, just two guys talking ball. And I remember coming away from that saying to Neil that I'm, you know, that I've met Joe Judge and da da da, and his his background, his coaching background is really kind of unique. And I said that dude is wired tight, and I mean wired tight. And then I saw his press conference last year, and I thought, oh my god. I mean, and then a friend of mine, Thomas McGahey, uh, special, special teams coach. Yeah, he works for him. And Thomas and I are good friends. And, and uh, so I had Thomas on my little uh, coffee with the coach thing I did during the offseason. We talked about the Giants and Joe. And, and after, off the, once we got off air, I said, All right, Thomas, tell me the real deal. What, what, how is he? And he said, He is a star is the way he described it. He said, he is a star. I'm telling you, he has it. And, you know, Thomas has worked for some pretty good football coaches. And so that's pretty high praise. And then when I watched his team, it was really interesting because when you, when you do it the way he's doing it, it's a, it's a risk and it's a gamble. Because if you don't win and you're as hard as he is and you, you're as demanding as he is and you're as... See, that didn't work for Patricia, but it's worked for him for two reasons, I think. Number one, it's what the Giants really needed, right? And number two, he was so consistent with it because if if there's a crack in it, you know, if you're a tough guy like that and you've got tough practices and, you know, you heard the stories about the coaches running laps if the players screwed up and all that stuff. If there gets to be even a little crack in it, then you can have a you can have a revolt on your hands real fast if you're not winning. Is, is that why he handled the Golden Tate situation very quickly when he came out and had a bit of a social media meltdown with his wife over the fact against the Buccaneers on the Monday night? He didn't get any balls shown his way until very late in the game, and he started coming up to the camera. He quickly dealt with that. You're not playing next week. Yeah. See well, that's and see that's what he's done he's been very consistent with the way he runs things and credit to the to Gettleman and all the guys above him for letting him be do it his way right because a lot of times and this has been hit problematic in Washington for years coaches would try and hold players to a standard and then the players would go above the coach to get relief and then once that happens, once, once you allow that to happen one time, then the coach loses the credibility in the locker room. So everybody's got to be on the same page and everybody's got to be functioning the same way. He has that right now in New York. I mean, he, had, he got rid of Mark Colombo and Mark Colombo's a good young line coach, but Mark Colombo, they, they, you know, that just wasn't going to work. And he wasn't going to have a guy. I mean, and that's a, that's a risky move when you make that move. It's very risky when it's sitting when he's six foot eight and you're telling him he's no longer got a job. <laughs> well, and, and on top of it, he's you know you got to you got to replace him. You got to coach those guys. And and you know Joe took it over for a while, but you know what I'm saying is that, that his toughness is what he lives. It's how he is, right? And so there's an old Buddhist tenet that I really believe in, and it goes: embody what you teach, and then teach only what you embody. And when you know you can be that guy if you're that guy to everybody and in all situations, right? And, you know, I think it's, I think the Giants are really trending in the right direction. 
Let's see uh, what happens over the next 18 to 24 months. Hopefully all our teams, apart from Marks, can trend in the right direction. <laughs> let's uh, let's jump on these two Saturday games. I think it's it's almost like a bonus now. There's there's so many games on Sky this weekend, Jeff. Um, what we usually do is we'll, 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 we'll look at one matchup and we'll look at one team in detail, the other team in detail, and then we'll give a quick pick in that sense. Let's focus on the Buffalo Bills first, Jeff. We'll, we'll, we'll start with yourself. Now, Jeff, these boys have been laughing at me for the last six weeks. I keep saying they're going to win the AFC. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. Your man, Cole Beasley, is having one hell of a season. You, know, you, you must be very proud of him, but this, this Bills team is for real, Jeff, yeah? Yeah, I think they're they. I think they've been for real for a couple of years. Um, they're not without flaws. There are a couple of things I think that they've got to continue to work to get better at. But but again, Brian Dable has taken a wild horse and tamed him. And when I say tamed him, I'm not saying that he he he, he made him rideable, right? Where before he was just a buck and bronco, he was all over the place, and that's not easy to do. The one of the, if you talk to quarterback coaches, one of the things they say is the hardest thing to get a quarterback to, to be if he's not is accurate. And part of it is because of his decision-making has improved. He's a much more accurate passer than he was when he first came into the league. Um, having guys like Brown and Beasley and Diggs, who are all guys that they brought there for him, is a big, big plus. They've rebuilt an offensive line that was really bad not too many years ago. You know, when they went in there and, you know, this is, this should be really, everybody looks at, I'm going to go on a rant here for a minute, but right now they're going to be new head coaches and new general managers and all that in the league. Right. And so the NFL is a copycat league. All professional sports are basically, but the NFL in particular. And so when, the Patriots are having their run. How many ex-Patriot or assistant coaches got head jobs in the league? Because everybody wanted what? They wanted a little bit of that Patriot stuff. And then it was Sean McVay was this young, dynamic, offensive guy. And everybody, and if the, 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 the joke in the coaching industry was, if you had lunch with Sean McVay sometime in the last five years, you could probably get an interview in the, in the NFL. And, but the team to me where they ought to look, like if I'm Detroit, I'm looking at Buffalo and saying, okay, how did you clean up what was a mess? I mean, a mess six years ago. And now you're the AFC East champion, right? How did you do that? What was it? Well, if you, if you studied it, you'd find out that it really came down to a couple of things. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are tied at the hip. They know what they want. They know exactly who, the kind of profile of the people they want to have in the building. And I'm talking, I said, I didn't say players. I said the kind of people they want in that building. That's coaches, players, equipment guys, trainers, doctors, everybody, right? And then they went out and did it. And they got, they were, they had the courage to go out and get rid of quote star players, right? They got rid of guys that were their best players because they didn't, in almost in every single case, they, they weren't the kind of people that they wanted. And then they build it based on people. I'll tell you about when Beasley was in, in free agency. Now, I had not coached, at that time, I had not coached Cole in eight years, right? Eight years. 
I got three different phone conversations from their personnel office checking on him. And I hadn't coached him in eight years, right? That's how thorough they were when they were, were looking at free agents, right? They, they asked me about what he was like in college. They asked me about, did he ever, all that stuff. And then they said, then they asked me about his rookie year. He was a free agent with the Cowboys and left training camp, right? And he wanted, they wanted to know about that. And I mean, that's, that's how deep they dug because they didn't want to make a mistake. And they wanted to make sure that he was going to be what they needed, which was all that physical stuff that you see with the great short burst quickness and hands and amazing ability to get first downs and all that. But they also wanted to make sure he could fit in in, in their locker room and he could fit in in their community. And, you know, though, there aren't enough teams that build it that way. So, I, I, you know, that's, that's, to me, the biggest thing. Colm, are you, are you very much on the Bills bandwagon forgetting who they're playing today? I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I'm on their bandwagon. Because, again, I, like I said, oh. I still think they've got a couple issues. They're a little soft in the middle in defense, right? Like, to me, when, when you look at them, you say, yeah, I don't – I think you can run the ball on them a little bit, right? Um, their offensive line is a work in progress still. They're still not where they need to be, I think, to be an elite team with offensive and defensive linemen. But, you know, Milano's a great cover linebacker. You know, Tredavious White's one of the better corners in the league. Uh, Jerry Hughes still can rush the passer. Epines is going to be a good football player one day. Ed Oliver makes plays. So, you know, they've got players, but I don't know if they have the, enough players yet to overtake Chiefs. But I think that's, that's what's in their sights. And I, I could imagine, Jeff, that they, they'll get there given the plan that they executed with jo Josh Allen. And I suppose being a Broncos fan, watching what they did with Allen, and, and a lot of people talk about Drew Locke and can Drew Locke do it, but to me, the difference, what the, they brought in a new OC. They, I think, they, judging on, on what you were saying, like they identified Allen. They traded up to, to get Allen. They knew he was who they wanted, right? They wanted the physical talents that he had to play in Buffalo and that they built around him. And they brought in not just the weapons, but the experience. And I think, to me, that's where... I see a big difference between what the Broncos did with Drew Locke and what the, the Bills have done with Josh Allen because the Broncos, they allowed Locke to kind of fall into their lap. It's not like they actively pursue, pursued him. They, you know, Flacco was there and we were told Flacco was elite and then that didn't work out. But the Bills really invested in him. And while the Broncos have given Drew Locke weapons and, and really good weapons, I mean, I think Hamler has been outstanding. He's a really tough kid. They haven't given the experience. There's not the experience. There's not a slot guy like like Cole Beasley. There's not the the experience on the O line. So to me, I think the Bills have done a, a phenomenal job in terms of really building there. Um, and and you can see the because it's not just about consistency. I, I hear a lot of talk in the league about it's got to be the right sort of consistency. And and going off what you what you said, Jeff, they really knew who they were bringing in both in terms of coaches, players, and staff. And that's why the consistency has worked, I think. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of those guys that they brought in had some sort of tie to McDermott or to Bean or somebody, right? They, they knew what they, they really wanted to make sure they knew what they were getting. Um, you know, interesting you talk about Locke because um, 
he's a very controversial figure in in Denver in in this media talk shows and all that. My one of my ex players has the uh, most uh, highly rated Broncos talk show in in Denver, and it's a constant source of conversation. And you know you, when you when they get Cortland Sutton back, they're going to have as good a receiving core as you could expect to have. And um, I just don't know. Some of the, I, I don't know if Josh Allen's, and this would be an interesting thing to ask somebody who was like a sports psychologist, is Locke's personality and um, his, make, his makeup, his mental and emotional makeup like Josh Allen's or is it different? I tell you, I'm gonna tell you guys a story. It's fascinating to me. There's a guy named, and you can, you can Google him. Uh, I think it's Jonathan Neednoggle, and he's a he's a he studies like people's brains, right? And when June Jones was working for the Chargers, they had the first pick in the draft, and they were looking at quarterbacks. And I, I think it was Ryan Leaf and Manning. I think were the two that they were looking at. And when you looked at him physically, Leaf was the better guy. He's bigger, stronger, faster, bigger arm, faster delivery, all of it, better athlete, all of it. And they were making a decision about who they were going to take. And the general manager, uh, Bobby Beathard, wanted Ryan Leaf because he was a better athlete and, you know, bigger arm and all that stuff. And Neednagel says, uh-uh, do not take that guy. And lo and behold, you know, it, that's the way it worked. And this, and he worked, he's worked for a number of pro teams on brain typing, you know, draft choices. And that's the part, see, that's why I don't care about the combine because the combine is like, to me, just an entertainment piece. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a circus act, you know, who can jump the highest, who can run the fast Christ, You can find that out anytime. And it doesn't take it. It takes absolutely no, I mean, that's, that's just information gathering, right? It's a made-for-television event. That's what it's become. What I want to know is, how's that guy going to react when he is in the spotlight of playing quarterback in the National Football League? Trent Dilfer told me, he said, they, they just don't know the enormity of the task. And it's not just the football learning and the speed and you know, all the, all the other stuff you got to deal with the football. He said, it's all of it. It's, it's, he said, it's an all encompassing gigantic thing and you can't know it until you get there. And some guys it's just too much for. And when I watched Locke play, that's kind of, that's his body language. You know, again, I believe really high, a lot in body language and Locke's body language always seems to me like he'd be the guy that when you try and coach him, he goes, yeah, I got it, coach. I got you. I got you. I got you. Right. Instead of being the guy that says, okay, I, all right, I'll work at it. Or, you know, that to me is when you see Josh Allen, Josh Allen, he, he wants to be coached. He wants to get better. Right. And that's a, that's a big part of being good is wanting to be coached, having a desire to be coached. Just on the, the Bills, just a quick point. 
do you think it helped them by the fact that they're kind of floating under the radar because the Chiefs are the Chiefs and then you had the Steelers going beaten for so long that I wouldn't say nobody was talking about the Bills but they've certainly kind of been below those two for a certain extent of the season and I would have thought there would have been much more discussed about the fact that it's the first AFC East divisional winner for was it 10-15 years but they just seem to be that's, that conversation has quickly moved on to could they get the number two seed now because the Steelers are having a bit of a bit of a wobble. Ryan, see, you're 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 nibbling away at an issue that's part of being in Buffalo, right? Because if you go to Buffalo, you're going to be off the radar. You're going to be out of the radar screens, no matter how successful you are. And one of the things that they they want to make sure <clears> of <throat> in Buffalo is that you can handle living in Buffalo. Not just the weather, but you're going to be, it's like Green Bay. There's no nightlife. There's no, I mean, you go to Toronto two hours up the road if you want to, if you want nightlife, but that, that's a, you know, Marshawn Lynch was in Buffalo and was just a, a, you know, a good back, not a great back, right? He just didn't fit there. And so that's one of the thing that that's all part of how big this whole personnel thing is. You know, Buffalo's never going to be a, 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 a destination free agents place, right? They're going to have to overpay to get guys to go there unless the guy, for whatever reason, likes that lifestyle. On the other hand, you're going to have guys falling all over each other to get to New York and Miami and, you know, some of those places. So it just, it, it really comes down to just finding guys that fit your place and what, what you want to get done. So, Jeff, I mean, I feel like incumbent on me to mention that the Big Ten Championship is later today. You know, Ohio State and Mr. Fields will go high in the draft. They're going to be playing. I feel it's incumbent to mention it because it's like we're missing an actual NFL game this evening because this game isn't really going to be competitive, uh, in my view. Um, I'm not just saying that to wind up my Broncos friends on this, but I searched long and hard to find something the Broncos were number one at. And I found something. They're actually number one in red zone defense in terms of touchdown percentage. The problem is Josh Allen has never, ever thrown a pick in the red zone, has 35 touchdowns passing, zero interceptions, and he's run for 22 rushing touchdowns during that time frame as well. So, guys, the one thing you've got going for you here, it's not really going to work. But, but, Jeff, what I want to get your thoughts on is, I mean, if I was being really mean, I would actually say about, you know, the Bills compared to the Broncos. The Broncos, they don't have an owner, they don't have a quarterback, and arguably they don't have someone who's good enough to be a head coach. Because in my mind, Vic Fangio is more in the a great coordinator, but maybe can't take that step up on the head coach. You know, I won't press you on the owner piece, but we actually had a conversation before about there's a lot of fantastic coordinators Yes, half of Bill Belichick's coaching tree, who are great coordinators, but can't make that leap to the head coach. And yes, yeah. Patricia, Bill O'Brien, I'll take my licks on this, guys. What is that difference? I mean, you mentioned about Joe Judge, but what is that thing that kind of is the differentiator, which turns someone who's obviously clearly a great coach, but just can't be that head man? Well, I think there's a that's a big question, but the biggest thing to me, and I, and I was one of those guys, right? Um, and when I got my opportunity, I was 
uh, somewhere in my 30s. And probably before I was ready, right? Looking back on it now, looking at it with no emotion and the whole deal. And then I didn't have, um, and this is nobody's fault. It's just the way the situation worked. I didn't have veterans around. I didn't have a, gen we didn't have a general manager. We didn't have, so, you know, when you're, when you're doing it for the first time, it's the same deal. You can, when you're, when you're a position coach, you got 12 guys you're responsible for. When you're a coordinator, you got 30 guys you're responsible for. When you're a head coach, you've got everybody you're responsible for. Everybody and everybody's decisions and everybody's performance and all of it. And that's, I mean, that's a gigantic step up. And then if you, if you don't have an environment where you can kind of, I won't say fail, but you can, you can make a mistake or two and, and, you know, you can live through it. Right. So I think when, when you get that, when you get that chance and the problem is you don't, you don't get to pick when you get that chance. Right. And if you don't take that chance, when you get it, you may never get it. Like Vic has been a fantastic coordinator in the NFL for what, 30 years and never, I mean, he probably interviewed before for a couple of jobs, but never got a chance. And so when the Bronco job comes open, you don't got a quarterback. There's a lot of problems in Denver, right? But what are you going to do? Sit in Chicago and be a coordinator at, at Vic's in his late fifties. And, and then it may be the only time the phone ever rings for you to do it. So you got to go do it. Now for him, it's been tough because, you know, Part of it is the expectation level in Denver is so high because everybody still remembers, you know, Shanahan and the Super Bowls and Elway and, you know, um, and so you're always measured against that, right? Where if you're at a place like Detroit, hey, if you have a winning season, it, I mean, they'll probably make a, they'll probably uh, cast Stefanski in bronze and put him outside in front of the stadium this, in this offseason. I mean, in Cleveland. So, I mean, it's different, different level of expectations when you go into those places. Right. And, you know, he's, he, you know, then he under pressure fires his coordinator after the first year. See, all of those things are things that tell me that the ship's not very stable. Right. Um, and I hope I don't want anybody to fail. I don't because I've been there and I know what it feels like. And I know with, that sometimes if you fail, it may be the only chance you ever get. And that's that's not feeling sorry for anybody. It's just the way the business works. So, you know, guys have to be themselves. Guys, guys have to be in the right situation. Guys have to have the right support. Guys have to have talent around them. Um, and then you better be able to bring in your guys, the guys that you want to help you. Because let me tell you something, fellas, the backdoor politics and the backstabbing and the kingdom building and all that other stuff that, that is endemic and, and, and creates problems in big business or politics, or it's all the same in the NFL. You know, there's only 32 of those jobs in the world, 32, and they pay really well. 
And so guys, guy, I'm telling you, guys stab each other in the back. And I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I'm going to write a book one day and it'll be a, it'll, I don't say it's going to be a bestseller, but there'll be a lot of things that in there about, you know, what happens in a situation like New York right now with the, with the Jets where I'm sure the assistant coaches doors are getting pulled shut and guys are on the phone calling their buddies and, Hey, you know, can you support me by this? You got any jobs going to be open? All the stuff that takes away from the only thing that they should be con concentrating on now. And that's winning football games, but there, it's, that's human nature. That's survival, you know? Well, it's definitely going to be an interesting off season in Denver. And I think that's a whole different podcast slash series column. Uh, Really quickly, lads, let's make our picks before we look at the Green Bay Carolina game really quickly. I'm going to go, well, my, my heart says 50 Brandon McManus field goals because that's all we can do. My head says Buffalo by 14, to be honest with you. Uh, Jeff, just starting with you, man, who's going to win the game tonight? I think Buffalo will win, but I think it's going to be a close game. Denver can play defense, you know, and this is a, this is a, this is a uh, perfect trap game for Denver because Buffalo's won twice. They just came off of a huge, huge win on national television. Everybody's telling them how good they are. Everybody's telling them this. Right now, I, I, was, I told my wife this today. I said, you know, if I, if I was a head coach at a place like Buffalo today, I would make sure that every player got a present wrapped in his locker room, locked in his locker when he came in to the office today with a sign on the top that said, do not open until team meeting, right? Then they all had to bring them to the team meeting. And inside their box would be a pair of earmuffs and a set of blinders. And that's what they need to put on. Earmuffs and keep all the noise out and blinders and just stay focused on what you can control. And that's Denver this week. Because if they start looking ahead of themselves and they start scoreboard watching and all that other stuff, Denver will come up, rise up and beat them. But I think it's going to be Buffalo by about three. Oh, column. Yeah, Jeff, I love your idea. I, I really do. I, it sounds something like Alex Ferguson famously had an envelope at, at, at the beginning of a season, and he said he had three names in the envelope of three players that he knew were going to leave him down during the season. And he never revealed uh, to the team who it was. And everyone spent the entire season going, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. <laughs> and at the end of the season, he opened the envelope. There were no names in it. Um, is, so, that, so, right? is that a true story? That's a true story. That's that what, guy was a genius, man. Yeah, that's what Fergie did. And, and, and I think that uh, building on what you said earlier, that mental side of the game is, is so important. That, in, um, you know, intangible making the jump from the college game where you have the physical traits I think that that and that's the part we don't see and that's a part as fans a lot of the time we don't know what goes on in the background and the training and etc cetera, etc cetera. so to me I think yeah the, the Bills look they it's difficult to see beyond them in in, in this game um it, it I think it's a, it's a good game for them actually to test themselves against another solid defense. I, I think Vic Fangio's defense will make it tough. Um, but I I see the Bills winning this one. Probably, it, it, there won't be, I can't imagine there's more than a touchdown in it though. Brian? I'm going to go completely against the trend so far because when they played at home to the Chargers, we felt that could be a trap game. When they went to the desert, against the 49ers when the game got moved to Arizona. We thought maybe that could be a trap game. They've overcome those two games. The only game they've lost in the last seven was the Hale Murray. Um, 
the Hail Mary at the end. So they could have been easy have won the last seven games. So I think McDermott's got that nature of worrying about particular trap games out of the system within the team. I actually think they'll win comfortably. I don't see it being close. I think they'll win. When I say comfortably, two touchdown win for the Bills. Mark? Guys, I mentioned I like maths earlier on. Like This isn't Burmat's last theorem. We don't have to do astrophysical equations here. It's a very simple mathematical formula. Josh Allen is greater than Drew Locke, plus Sean McDermott is greater than Vic Fangio, equals Bill's comfortable win. They lock up their first AFC East title in 25 years, and given they've already given up two Hail Marys, maybe they go out of the playoffs to another Hail Mary. Yeah. Oh, here. Here, here, here. Well, like, obviously, Colin's talking about Fergie there and about Man United. I mean, it's Leeds against United on Sunday. We know Jeff's a big Leeds Ooh, fan. So. Be careful now. Don't you, don't you dare cast anything on my wife. <laughs> here, I'll, I'll, I'll say nothing. I, I'm, a big, I'm a big Manchester fan, so I'm going to say nothing, man. Uh, let's really quickly, for the final segment of the show, let's, let's focus on this last game, the game at, uh, well, 1.15 a.m. Jeff, I presume, I'm presuming that you're in a studio for that live, yeah? Yeah. Lovely. Well, What's your thoughts ahead of this? Because the Green Bay Packers are sitting the same as the Bills, 10 and 3 going into this, obviously a big contender in the NFC. Who have you got winning this game? Um, and, you know, what's your thoughts on both teams, Jeff? Well, you know, the, the Packers, to me, are the team that, if I was going to take any NFC team that would has a chance to beat the Chiefs, I'd say the Packers would be the first one I'd talk about. Because here's the thing about the Chiefs. I did, a, I did a study on the Chiefs for the last three years. So it's basically during the Mahomes era, right? And they've scored 30 points or more about three quarters of the games. I got the exact numbers. I just don't have them at hand right now. So that tells me that if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to score when you get your chances, which means your quarterback's going to have to make a couple throws to beat them. When you watch the Raiders get them early in the year, you saw that very thing happen. They got um, 40 points against Sorensen one-on-one, and that's that's not a fair fight. And so they hit, a, they hit a couple long touchdown passes that actually won the game for them. Kansas City is, is, is a team that if you're going to beat them, you got to be able to say, we're going to get 30 points today, right? And then you got to hope that they have an off day, right? So I think Green Bay, that's, we're talking about Green Bay, I know, but that's what I'm saying about Green Bay. I look at Green Bay as a team that can do that because it all starts, and Mark made a good point about the quarterbacks. It all starts in the game today with the quarterback position. And, you know, I, for my money anyway, I would still take Aaron Rodgers. If there was one drive at the end of a game to win it, I would still take Aaron Rodgers. If all the other talent on the field was the same. I just think he's, you know, he's made Robert Tonnen not an elite tight end, but certainly a much better tight end than, than his physical tools say he should be. Every week he goes out there and you think defensive coordinators all of a sudden just forget about Devontae Adams when they play the Packers? I mean, that guy gets doubled. They do everything in the world to try and take him away. And Rodgers always finds a way to get him the football. So, you know, that's my Packer take. And then on top of it, you got Aaron, Aaron Jones. 
The question with the Packers is, can they play enough defense? Right? That's the question to me. And, um, but their defense is opportunistic. They can rush the passer. They turn the ball over, right? Which that's the kind of style that they got to play with because they don't, you don't want to play bend, but don't break defense and get, you know, give up eight and 10 and 12 play drives because your offense is standing over there on the sideline getting cold. You want to, you want to get the ball back. If, even if that means they get the score fast, you want the ball back. I worked for, I worked for a guy that believed that. And I remember one time he walked down the, it was June Jones and, and, and uh, we we're playing Navy and Navy's running the triple option and God, it's like every, it's like seven minute drives every, I mean, it seemed like every play was third and two. And uh, so he's, he walks down, he walks down the sideline, goes to the defensive corner. He goes, Hey, let them score. Will you, if you're going to, if you're going to let them, if they get 10 play, let them score. Will I need the ball back. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the way those, those kind of guys think. So. Jeff, um, I suppose uh, ordinarily, I don't think teams should ever, essentially tank I, I think breaking a, a, a you know a, a losing habit is a really difficult thing to do but when it comes to um this panther team and particularly um christian mccaffrey he's had so many injuries this mm -hmm. year my own opinion is that the panthers should just shut him down for the year and let him come back in 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 2021 what would what's your feeling on that it was interesting, really, this topical column, because I don't know if you caught uh, Jason Kelsey's rant about that very topic, right? And his point as a player was everything every week, regardless of record, should be about winning the next game, right? And that's how you want your players to think, okay? But the business of the business is different than that. Now, like, for example, let's talk about New England. I, fellas, I, I don't, I, I think I can say with this with a hand on my heart, Cam Newton's not the answer, right? Stidham's standing on the sidelines. And who am I to criticize? I'm not criticizing Bill, Bill Belichick, but I'm asking a question. Doesn't it make sense because Stidham has not had a preseason this year and he has very little actual game game experience wouldn't you take these last games and play him and see what you have before you go to the draft and free agency where you may or may not have to pick another quarterback same thing I agree with you Colin right now what is the risk versus reward playing as dynamic a player who's beat up as Christian McCaffrey right to me that makes sense you know it doesn't make sense. And, you know, I think there's other guys around the league that, that will get shut down in the last, next couple of weeks because of it. Because, you know, you, the, the problem is players don't think that way. They think this week, right? Because their lives are week to week. Coaches tend to think this week because our lives are week to week. The general manager and the president and the football, you know, the, the administrators, Personnel guys, they've got to always have one eye on this week and one eye on what's going on in the future, right? So that's a, that's a constant dilemma. But, I, you know, just for them, if I was the, 
whatever. If I was the owner of the Carolina Panthers, I'd say, I don't know if I want my biggest asset out there in games that don't matter getting beat up, you know? I think uh, you say about players wanting to win no matter what the record. I think that was shown in Marcus May's reaction for the Jets against the Raiders when he was appalled by the play call by Greg Williams at the end. You know, in terms of the last second, they should have really just, you know, went down the field and parked up in the end zone and waiting for the hell Mary to come. But instead, he went for the blitz and they all say it was a bizarre play. And he was disgusted in, in the press conference after. So you could see by him, was the Jets are tanking for Lawrence. He, he wanted to win that game badly. Yeah, and, and every coach does because you, you're competitive and you, you know, you're, we're measured. This is one of the things that's, it's hard for people who have never done it to get your head around it. But the reality of it is, and, and this is not, again, this is just an observation on life, right? Everybody is in you know, business, you have a quarterly report or you have your yearly year ends or you have, you know, all that stuff, right? In our business, you're, you're judged 16 times, 16 straight weeks you're judged and the verdict comes in at week 16. And sometimes the verdict comes in way before week 16, <laughs> but it's every week. And not only are you judged, like let's say you're working for Microsoft, right? And you're, re you're responsible for research and development and you guys get together and you have your quarterly meetings. Well, 25 million people around the world don't turn, don't turn on their television set to see Microsoft's corporate meeting or quarterly meetings, right? But every football coach has to deal with the fact and player has to deal with the fact that there's millions of people. It's, it's, like, being in the, it's like being in the Roman Coliseum, this or this, right? And it happens in, in five hours every Sunday. I mean, that's the life that they have. So that's why it's that's why the psychology of the of the coaches and players is so much different. That, because typically they'll fire the whole coaching staff, and the personnel guys and the, and the GM and that will usually stay for at least one coach. Now you might at two they might get everybody. Usually, maybe it, it's a little bit different in Denver, but again, that's for a whole different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark, Mark, what, yeah, what, what's I mean, your take? Well, I was going to say, I mean, you bring up the Roman Colosseum, Jeff, and they go in every week and they say, those of us who are about to die, we salute you, which was the famous expression I used to say. You bring up Stidham as the, the resident Pats fan, I suppose. I would say the only reason Belichick isn't throwing him in there is because he's designed to lose. He's got no wide receivers, really. But isn't the answer Edelman stood out and only one for tight end? So that's the most generous interpretation I can apply. And I couldn't agree with you more about Christian McCaffrey. Like, I mean, it's like he's going to do a duet with Aerosmith and we want to make sure that run CMC doesn't only walk this way, but yeah. in fact can still run this way. Yeah. But, you know, I want to shine a light and thinking about this game on the person that we, we talked a bit about this, but the person that doesn't get the credit sometimes and especially isn't getting the credit in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, of course has only half the number of Super Bowl rings that Jimmy Garoppolo has. And he's gone through a long time with a few failed experiments, shall we say, in playoffs. But Matt LaFleur has come in there and is 23-6 and six as a rookie, as a first-head coaching gig. 
and you know for everything that oh they drafted good Jordan Love it's going to blow up in Green Bay this year oh he won't fit in with Aaron Rodgers at all he's making it work 13 and 3 last year 10 and 3 so far this year I mean is he getting the right amount of credit for the job he's doing absolutely not and you are exactly right and that is one of the things that we talked about um on inside the huddle this week when we were talking about coach of the year guys and I think what happens to him, frankly, is that the persona and the personality and the image and all of it that's around Aaron Rodgers really overshadows everything in Green Bay, including the head coach that's done, like you said. I mean, I don't think, like, I don't think Vince Lombardi had that good a record at the same point in his career. And so, that's a pretty good guy, you know. Absolutely. Um, just before we bounce, gentlemen, I have to get the pick for each game. So just one answer. Who's going to win? Starting with you, Jeff, Packers or Panthers? Uh, Packers by 10. Colin? Oh, it's it's Packers uh, all day long. We we saw what the Panthers secondary was like against Drew Locke and our weapons. When you, when you have Aaron Rodgers and Adams against them, it it could be a cricket score. In the uh, in the Panthers' four wins this season, they've kept their opponents to twenty-one or less points. I don't see any situation here where they're going to be at the hold. Rogers to that kind of score, I'd expect the Packers to be in the thirties. I'd say 30, 24 ten, something along those lines. And Mark, if he comes off mute, yeah. yeah. Imagine we're in France in nineteen forty. The Carolina oh, Panthers have established a line of defense called the Maginot Line. And what they're faced with is a force with increased superiority on land, increased superiority in the air, better drilled, better marshaled, and overall better coached to just go round the line and ultimately invade their territory. The Packers are going to walk this game, although Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers have been better than expected this season. The Pan Packers just have too much for them. There's your weekly innuendo, Jeff, just in case you're wondering this yeah, happens what, every I like week. that little historical reference. You can use the Maginot. You might be the only guy, Mark, that I know that could pull out the Maginot line when you start talking about the NFL, but that's I like it. That's, <laughs> hey, you know what? Think about this one, though, guys. The, pa the Panthers are 5-0 and oh, covering the spread on the road this year. 5-0. and oh. and I, What's the spread? 10 and a half? Eight, eight and a half. Eight and a half. Now, I don't think they'll do it, but, but that's phenomenal. I mean, they are really, a, 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 if you want to bet on an underdog, that's a, that's a dog you bet all the time. Jeff, sorry, a quick one for you. When you go back to coaching next season, you should use the, uh, the envelope trick that Colin told you about earlier on. I am. I, you know what? And I am going to use it. And I'm going to give Colin the credit for it when, when the media finds out about it. I'm going to. So so when you when you win the championship, you can do a John Elway and you can say this one's for a column. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Here, I didn't give my pick. Uh, the, the Panthers are four and nine. Put four and nine together, you get 49 gentlemen in terms of new in terms of numerical data. It's too late. I, I have the, the Packers winning by 49 plus points. <laughs> <laughs> this could be uh let's let's look at Jeff, Neil, and, and Sean and have a have a quick, uh, just a quick swig of the beer and just turn the TV off. And I want to joke. I'll, I'll watch it all, Jeff, maybe to maybe the halftime. But 
surely and that, I think that's actually a really good question Jeff if you're sitting there at half four in the morning and the team is 25 points up and you're getting really tired um, but but the but obviously your problem is you're live on TV how do you do it so, you know what it's funny people ask me that too and I'm watching football the way the, the way I approach the whole deal is it's just me and you and we're watching football together right and I don't, I mean, listen, my, my wife gives me shit for this all the time, but like we could be driving past the park, right? And there's some kids out playing football in the park. I'll pull over and watch for a minute. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I'm, I'm wired that way, I guess. Jeff, do you know on a, on a Sunday when you're on the panel and you're in the studio and obviously Sky have picked out their main game in terms of what's on the, the one channel and then everybody else is, viewing red zone how do you shuffle between all the games do you watch red zone in the studio as well as the main game yeah it's really, obviously you have to that, it's really kind of cool because they have one big monitor and then there are about three other monitors around on the on the floor and uh, neil sits over where he can actually see all three of them like i can see i can see two i can't see the third one i'd have to go like that to see the third one but Red zone is, is on, or other games are on the other monitors. So really you can watch multiple games, which sometimes gets to be a little bit of a challenge because you can start to get engrossed in one game or a red zone. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, Neil asks a question and it's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark, I, 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 sorry about that. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, I suppose your, your primary focus is supposed to be on the game with Squire showing Noyev. Let me tell you something. I, you can't, you know, we talk about how, how tough it is to be a quarterback, right? And I watched Neil go from being, um, quote, the stat guy to taking over for Kevin. And that was really tough because, you know, it's some craziness about, well, because he spoke with an English accent, he can't be sitting in the, in the corner chair, right? Which I think is silly, but um, I've watched him grow in that position. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I've been around a lot of broadcasters and he does an amazing job because he's not only got to watch the, all the monitors, he's got people in his ear talking to him while he's talking, having, holding a conversation with the audience. I mean, that is not easy to do. And he does a phenomenal job and just gets better all the time. Every year I come back, he gets better. Uh, Jeff, Mark has been messaging me for the last six minutes saying that he wants to ask you something. So here, Mark, here is your opportunity. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I suppose, Jeff, the only other thing I'm just curious about is like if going back in time and everything that you've done in your coaching career so mm -hmm. far, and I'm thinking of the coaching career and everything, is there any one job or one experience that you wished you'd done or taken along the way? Like, do you ever wish you'd, you know, being a special teams coach in the NFL or was there an opportunity or something that missed along the way? I'm just curious because, you know, your career was in college in CFL so long and everything. You've done so many different things in relation to it. It's just everything you've seen and done. Boy, that's a tough one because where I was probably, one of the areas, and I've done a lot of dumb things and never had a plan. And I mean, people ask me that stuff, you know, about your career and all that. I said, you know, Mao Zedong had a five-year plan. I didn't, I didn't think five weeks from right now, right? I just didn't, that's not the way I was. I never negotiated a contract 
until, well, I'll tell you the story. I go to interview for the Raiders special teams job when, when Lane Kiffin got the job. And he asked me if I had an agent. I thought he was asking me a trick question. I mean, it's like, agent, what? I don't have, what do I need an agent for? And then he asked me how much I made. And I told him, and he said, you need an agent. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I never cared about any of that stuff. I, I just, if I had enough money to live and my family could live, I was fine, right? And I didn't think about, well, if I take this job, I can get to this job. And then this job maybe could lead to this job. I just, I never felt that. I never did that. It was just not me. But probably, that was probably wrong, right? Because sometimes you got to play the game. And, but I just didn't even really care what the game was. I, I just didn't know. Um, something I didn't do. At an agent. Yeah, that's probably what. <laughs> I have one now, though. I have one now. Never too late. That's one thing you can say. Say to people, it's never too late. But I can't. I don't like. Nah, man. I've had such an amazing run and such been so lucky, Mark. I'm telling you, bro. If if when I was 12 years old, if you'd have told me that I would get to do this, I'd have said, man. No, man, that ain't going to happen. No way that could ever happen. Nah, no, I can't. Nah. It's just, I've been so lucky. Everywhere I've been, I've been so fortunate. So many great people, so many great players, so many good people that looked out for me when I didn't know how to look out for myself, all of that. You know, Coach Vermeil took me really by the ear and, you know, drugged me around for a while. And, and uh, so I'll always be very, very indebted to him. He's the best that there ever was. And, you know, he, if he's not in the Hall of Fame, it's, it's a crying shame. No, no regrets. That sounds awesome. No regrets, Mark. Well, at least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you've been so incredibly generous with your time, but um, what you said about Kevin earlier was like, he, when you watch Kevin, it reminds, over here in Ireland, right, we had um, a TV presenter, a guy named Bill O'Hurley, and Bill presented the sports shows, and Bill was an absolute national treasure. But Kevin reminded me so much of him because they weren't the experts, but they were, what they were was they had this incredibly warm personality, and they recognized when to bring people in, and they were both absolute gentlemen, as you said, and they got people who weren't interested in the sport or thought they couldn't be interested because maybe it was too intricate or, or they didn't quite understand it and they they brought it to life for them by by bringing in experienced people like you and like others to, to talk about it but they made it accessible um but i just wanted to, like kevin it was always so brilliant to watch him and he always made it so accessible but i think you are you're doing a great job of, of carrying on that legacy because you've been so generous to us Gen genuinely you you talked to myself and michael uh, earlier in the mm. off season you've spent time with us this evening we really really appreciate it well the only thing i want to ask of you guys is uh just let me do it again. Let's do it again. Because it it's been a blast for me. I mean, it's, it's actually been a blast for me. Like in all of my wildest, you know, interactions and all the people I met and talked, I, nobody has ever used the Maginot line in a football reference. So <laughs> I, it's, a, it's a special night. I have to That's say, you're, 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 you're obviously saying about doing it again and stuff. I'll tell you what we'll do. Hi. We'll fly you over to Dublin for a show because we're actually in Dublin tomorrow uh, from the Walshed Bar and Grill. 
Yeah, so we're, we're, we've got this big camera crew and stuff. So, Jeff, if you want to miss work tomorrow and, and fly over with us, you're, you're obviously more than welcome. I, I can't make tomorrow, but I will, I, I'll take you up on that because I, I, there's a friend of mine that was used to be the head coach at Trinity University. And uh, I came over and did a thing to help him. And we put on a, we opened it up for any kid that wanted to come and have practice once. It was a Saturday morning. It was like 9.30 in the morning. It was about 30 degrees and it was raining. And Christ, we had kids drove from Belfast and all over the, the island to come to a, for one practice. And so Ireland's got a real special place in my heart. Uh, Jeff, do you remember, do you recall the time back in 2000 and Tortain when you did the show in Crow Park? Yep. I was at that. Were you really? Uh, and we had a very brief chat that night as well, we did. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that was a great night, actually. It was really good. The convention yeah. center as well with Jay Ajayi came down in the Super Bowl. That yeah, was a, remember that one. Yeah. That was a big night. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, can't I, I didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy seeing an eagle walk out with the Super Bowl, so no. I <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, you guys, I, I, I tell you, the only thing I can't do is I can't do Guinness. I don't know what it is. I just can't. I, so I'll do lager, but I can't do Guinness. We'll, we'll, we'll make up for the Guinness, don't we? <laughs> the first round is on Mark, Jeff, obviously with all his uh, references right. and stuff, Mark, yeah? Yeah, happy happy to do that and everything. And it's funny, just one final point, because you mentioned Kevin Cato. I mean, he was near and dear to us. I mean, greatly missed by all the fans that watch Sky over the years and stuff. And you just say about the warmth of him. You know, I keep thinking of him talking about in our ball game, which is always more a basketball term, but it was just, it was his nature. And the one thing I would think about that constantly made me laugh was I'll never forget there was a Thanksgiving game on and uh, Selena Gomez, when she was like breaking through, was like 19 or 20, was doing the halftime show of the Lions game. And she gets up and she's singing a song with If You Want It, Come and Get It. She looks about 12, even though she's 20. And it cuts back to the studio in the halftime show. And I just remember Kevin sitting there and kind of looking at the guests and kind of going, what can I not say here that's not going to get fired? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say much. So, it, yeah, great, great man. I love the fact you say your favorite moment of kind of the Sky experience as well. Yeah. For us as fans as well. Yeah, that's cool. Jeff, I feel like we could sit to half six in the morning in, in a dirty pub somewhere in Galway talking about football and, and everything else. But I tell you what, and I know the guys here as well, we, we massively appreciate it. We, we're glad that you're back. Well, you're definitely closer to us now anyway, so feel free to pop over at some point before the Super Bowl. But thanks a million, man. All the best and hopefully chat to you soon. All right, guys. Thank you very much. I really appreciate being asked. Come on.